Hey everyone, welcome to Untucked. Uh, on this week's episode, we are talking about estate planning. That'll be our coach's corner. Then we're going to discuss entrepreneurship and the current sentiment around it. Uh, and then finally, we're going to wrap up with how rich people go broke. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and they do not reflect the opinions of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 33 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. Did you guys know that stress can increase the amount of earwax you have and fear? Like if you're frightened, it can create more earwax. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So just like if you're like stressed out, you can like sweat a lot. Uh-huh. Like it, it's the same... It's the same glands that are responsible for like stinky sweat, that apocrine glands, I think, in the ear. So it makes oh, sense. Like oh. if you're if you're stressed out or you're scared, it can cause your body to react in different ways. Hmm. Not sure how I feel about this fun fact. I hate earwax. Yeah. <laughs> are you guys heavy earwax people or are you light? I think I'm light, but I Q tip every day. Yeah, I mean I'm, so. I'm like, I don't, I don't usually have like a ton of. Ew, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't want to know I, how much. I do. I think I want to engage this stuff. I'm mean, just curious. Like, are, do you have like oh, the same amount in both ears usually? Or is you got one ear that's heavier than the other? I have one that's heavier than the other. <laughs> but I asked my friend. No, I asked my friend who's a um, audiologist. And she gave the same explanation you did. It's just like um, sometimes people sweat more out of one armpit than the other. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that either. Interesting. Sense. Look at these fun facts. <laughs> yeah. So are you a lefty earwaxer or a righty? Yes, yeah. my left ear is heavier. Southpaw. Um, <laughs> do you Q-tip, Mike? Yeah. Do you really? I don't Q-tip. I get like a tissue after I shower and just cl- and just like dry my inner ear. And there's never like, I guess I'm not a heavy earwax person. Probably not. Do you ever come across someone and you're like, oh, God, they need to like Q-tip the ear like right now? I'm usually not looking. Yeah, I don't think I'm looking ear. that closely. Have either of you ever done the uh, candling? What's that? You, you, don't, you never heard of this either? Is this appropriate for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's typically one of my jokes, Mike. Um, you put like a can. They put like a candle-ish device in your ear, and then they light it. So the wick is on the outside of your ear, and it draws the earwax out. And then when they remove the device, like a shit ton of stuff comes out of your ear. Earwax serves a purpose, though, right? Yeah, pretty it sure. Has I mean, to, I'm no. Right? Uh, yeah, it, it certainly does. Right? It, it's probably protective in some way of something. <laughs> Very similar to like mucus in the nose, probably. Oh right? my god! <laughs> Have you been candled? Never, never been candled. Not that I know of, actually. <laughs> uh, what a fun fact! Cool. See where it took us. See Maggie wanted to cut this conversation short. Yeah, yeah. I'm still grossed out. Philly <laughs> <laughs> um, sports people, we're back. Sixers. We were play back. on Saturday. We're starting with the Sixers, and yet the Flyers actually played yesterday and beat the Penguins in an actual game. Oh, it was oh, a real life that game. Was exhibition, exhibition. But I mean, come on! If the Phillies are a series in, how come we didn't start with the Phillies? Well, <laughs> come on, because no. the Major League Baseball just needs to shut it down. If they're not going to bubble, what are they even doing? So I hate to say I told you so, <laughs> but I told you so. Like it ain't gonna work. Yeah, sports is not going to work unless you bubble. And test everyone every day. Yeah. And they can't go anywhere. Yeah. Like Major League Baseball. Let's just have a season and make them wear masks if they want to. Yeah. Let's watch two other leagues take completely different precautions that obviously super, super early still, but are showing like positive results. 
and let's do nothing that they're doing and then just see what happens. Right. And the NFL has to be looking at baseball and saying, yeah, um, we're... We can't S- do that. We're SOL. Because <laughs> football's 100 times worse than baseball. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's funny because we were talking about this maybe six episodes ago and we all agreed, like, what's going to happen when a team has COVID and you know they're going to quarantine them for two weeks and then they can't play, so now they're out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they're not just going to completely change the schedule for the Miami Marlins, right? Uh, no, they're going to miss like 10 to 12 games, which means they're not going to make the playoffs. So their season's done. Like, literally three games in. So, like, would they go, okay, forfeits. You guys lose one nothing for 10 games straight. You're you're not playing in the you're not making the playoffs. So let this be a lesson to you, all other teams, because this is what's going to happen to you too. I guess. And if I'm a Marlin, like, well, then I'm done. I'm not playing any more games. Right. Like, I, like I want to take a baseball off the like right <laughs> cheekbone and like lose my right eyesight. I did hear. I didn't watch a single pitch of anything. Nope. So I, I watched. I watched all three games. <laughs> no, you didn't. I heard that the like all nine innings. <laughs> Yeah. The crowd noise and like the summer evening soundtrack that they're piping in is brutal. It's great. I love it. It's cringeworthy. It's not cringeworthy. It was great. (laughs) Great. It was great. It was very natural. He's a baseball fan, Mike. I mean, I I, I like baseball. I wouldn't necessarily call myself like a hardcore fan, but, you know, it was like maybe the sixth inning and there's a 3-2 count with two outs, so they pumped in like like greater crowd noise, like what would typically happen at a game where nothing happens because because it's incredibly boring. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I heard that the pictures of the people, you know, they like put, you can have, you can submit to have your picture. It's 80 bucks. It's 80 bucks. <laughs> but if a ball hits your head, you get to keep it. No way. They mail you the ball. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Dude, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I know, but. Let's, we have to. Submit a picture. Of Owen. <laughs> Not of us. And then just make sure he's tuning into the game. Which he won't be. How are we going to like slyly be like, yo, dude, you want to watch that Phil's game? <laughs> He'll give us a middle finger and say yeah, no. Good point. Uh, I watched it, you know, post-surgery, so I had well, nothing you, else. To do. Yeah, you had nothing else that you could be doing. So right. I get that. That was, that was the impetus for that. And, and I'm like sports starved. Yeah. I wanted to watch sports. Hence why I tuned in at 4 p.m. yesterday for the Flyers-Penguins tilt. But you like the Flyers, too. But I, I would watch I, any game that would have been any going game. on, I would yeah. watch. Okay. I totally forgot about it. Yeah. And I was at the rink at 6, and I was like, oh, yeah, the Flyers are on tonight. And somebody said, they're on right now, dumbass. That's how you were with the Sixers, too. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> exhibition. I mean, I never really cared about exhibition anyway. So they won how they look. I mean, it was choppy. It was... I mean, as far as exhibitions go, the good part was they had all their star, you know, their their core main players out there. It wasn't a bunch of like bubble guys. Um, both teams were a little shaky, but I mean, who cares? It was just the thing that's going to be a challenge. So the way they're doing this is they're doing three games like back to back to back. That third game is going to be really hard because the ice is so bad by that third game. It's like. What do you mean ruined. they're doing three games back to back? So, to back? like in Toronto, they're going to have a game at. I'm picking times. I don't know for sure, but say, you know, noon, four thirty, mm-hmm. eight o'clock, and there is not enough. And with how hot it is, and there's just not enough time to get the ice in a condition for that. The poor teams playing in that third game. That's going to suck. Do they rotate what team gets the third spot? I, I, I did hear that some, I forget who it is, might be the Rangers or somebody, like every game they're playing oh. the third. So I no. <laughs> I don't know if they thought that through very well, but yeah. regardless, it's both teams have to deal with it. So, you know, it is what it is. But it was just great to see hockey again, five months of, you know, of nothing. I didn't know that. I thought just Zamboning the ice made it better. No. I mean, it's. Especially when it's 90 degrees. It's hard to maintain good ice. Now, you don't have seventeen or 20,000 fans in there, which makes it hotter. But I did hear that the ice, even in the third period of the first game yesterday, was, was, was not great. And that's, that's what happens. Is Oscar Limblom on the team? He is. 
He's not playing yet, but he's apparently traveling to Toronto with plans to potentially join the team. I mean, he's, I guess, cleared to play. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I thought... They have, like, a comeback award winner in the league, and he's probably the front runner. Is he the yeah. one who's diagnosed with cancer? Yeah. yeah. I thought the cancer was pretty advanced. Yeah, it's no joke. I mean, not, no cancer is, but um, I think there's a lot of, like, wow. He's, like, back already. Yeah. So that's great if, if that's the case. But it was good. It was, it was um, and to your point earlier, I mean, the fact that they, they're all bubbled up, there's a reasonable chance maybe that if everybody behaves and does what they should that nobody's going to be um a covid case and if that's the case and they have this whole playoff it's going to be phenomenal yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah so they start saturday right they start saturday yeah and and i think all the consensus is that gary bettman who's universally hated as a as a commissioner of the league because he's just kind of like by the way he's done an unbelievable job with with getting the league from where it was when he started to here He's just he just gets shit on by everybody because he's kind of a he just is not liked. I don't know how else to put it, but him and everyone else that got this to the, to to happen, I would have I would have bet a lot against this getting to this point even right you now. Right, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, we did. Yeah, we were like even a bubble is not going to work. Yeah, and right. now when you have a train wreck like Major League Baseball to compare it to you realize how effective the bubble has been. I think everybody in the NBA and WNBA just got tested again and they, not a single COVID case. So how the, how the Sixers look, they played Dallas scrimmage Dallas last night. Um, looked okay. Joe didn't play. Ben didn't play the second half. I mean, and that's just making sure that nothing happens before Saturday. So, so when they televise these games, are there, is there going to be crowd noise or is it just going to be squeak fest like you're watching a practice? Yeah. So there's like, at least on the broadcasts I watch, there's um, crowd noise a little bit. They do like the music in the background and then it's, I mean, I've been listening to Mark Zoom off. So, uh, I mean, it, it was actually pretty enjoyable from like a spectating standpoint. The um, benches are, it's funny. They're like kind of like, I don't know if they're six feet apart. I doubt it, but they've spread out like where they're able to sit. The coaches sit in front and they're like almost like uh, movie theater seating, but just with more space between them. I don't understand that. I noticed that last night. They're all in the bubble. Yeah. Why do they? They're Have playing basketball against each other. Why are they on the bench? Six feet apart. From it each doesn't other. look like it's six feet, but like called four and a half, right? Whatever it is, they're and not... then they go up to each other and high five. So it's like it's, <laughs> it's crazy. I don't understand the point of it, but um, yeah, they play. I think they have Indiana on Saturday. So got Philly sports, Philly sports. back. We're back. <laughs> I saw somebody tweeted a picture of Carson Wentz walking into like the Novacare Center, and like I think it was Sal Palantonio. He's like, put on like. Like, looks like he's got, like, 19 pounds of muscle. I'm like, dude, that doesn't look like muscle, man. Quarantine. <laughs> looks like he's got the COVID-19, COVID-19. <laughs> dude. Yeah, football. Not looking good. I don't think so. That's a shame because that's the, that's the number one. For you. I'd say for most people, yeah. <laughs> Still all they talk about on Talk Radio. It's talk all they radio. talk about. <laughs> yep, it's all they talk about. Want to get into estate planning? Yeah, Coach's Corner. Is this our Coach's Corner? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. This article is called Seven Items Your Estate Plan May Have Left Out. It's written by Christine Benz, and she writes her Morning Star. Uh, as Christine describes in the beginning of her article, estate plans are all too often the missing piece of many financial plans. Wills, living wills, and powers of attorney make up the most basic form of an estate plan, and we'll start our discussion just describing what each of those are. Um, But her article kind of takes the advice piece one step further and offers a few suggestions on additional things to prepare for whomever may end up settling your estate. So let me start with this this is estate planning, which no one likes, and it's completely boring, and it's awful. And we're not licensed as attorneys. And I we feel are like not we should licensed attorneys. <laughs> say that. Ahead Disclaimer. Of <laughs> um, I found the article really good. 
I really did enjoy it. I thought it was very simple. It got me thinking like the whole having like a master directory, having a financial overview for someone. I mean, we talk to our clients about that because they're older and it's, and it almost seems like a no brainer. And we've had clients that have passed away and they had, you know, the packet for the spouse that listed everything. This is where everything is. This is where I ha- this is where I pay the bills. This is what I want you to do with this account. This is how the- I want you to pay down this debt. And it was extremely helpful. And it got me thinking like, I mean, I know we use e-money and we have software that does a lot of that, but it got me thinking that it's something I should do, even in my 40s, that it, it would, God forbid something happen, having like a little checklist for someone to, to they could just pick it up and like, look, this is where everything is. These are the bills I pay each month. This is how I pay them. I thought it was really valuable and something I'll consider doing. Okay, cool. I, I mean, I would probably agree with that. Let's Before we get into the additional suggestions, let's just kind of describe the three main form, the three main documents that exist in most estate plans. So it's your will, what happens to your assets when you die. It's your living will or a healthcare directive, which basically names someone to make, make healthcare decisions in the event you cannot. Um, and it also names like or describes life-sustaining measures that you'd like to or not want to receive. And then the power of attorney names someone to make financial and other types of decisions on your behalf in the event you can't or, un- or, are, or are unable to. Um, so that I would say is what 95% of people need, right? Those three very bas- basic documents that kind of cover all of their bases. Obviously, there's more complex things that can be done, but um, on a very, very basic level, having those things in place, um, naming people that you trust and are comfortable with in those key roles will cover you, right? And unlike a most in most cases, like yeah, and cases. that's that's a fairly painless process. Sure, right? aside it, from like dealing with your own mortality, right? Like, who do I want to watch my kids <laughs> if I'm dead? Right. Um, yeah, that's not a fun topic, but if you, it's not that arduous of a task, right? If you, sure. if you have a simple estate, will, living will, power of attorney, you're done. And you don't have to worry about it for, you know, until there's another major change or some sort of life event. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, absolute perfect. I think everyone should have it. Right. Um, yeah. Get those done. Get them out of the way. Okay. And then to your point earlier, Christine just went for, or went into a couple different things that you should think about or maybe include whether it's formally in some sort of legal way or just including with your with your estate planning documents in a, a what did she call it, overview? Master directory, that type of thing. Yeah, she had like the, fi- the financial overview was very basic, high level, and then the master directory really gave like the nitty gritty, like account numbers, details, and all that. And I thought that was like really valuable. And I've heard of doing that before from clients that have done it. I've never considered it myself because I'm younger. But I, I, as I was reading the article, I'm like, shit, I should do that. That's just, I've gone over with Melissa, like if I die, this is how I pay bills. But still, I've never said, all right, you do the bills for the next three months. So she would be like trying to figure it out. And I think if you had like some kind of playbook uh, to walk you through it, it would be, it would be helpful. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just chime in that this just to me seemed like if you are a super organized person with all of these sort of elements of your financial life, um, this might be something that those kinds of people would do. I don't see most people going through the trouble to like write down your VIN numbers of your cars and your all kinds of like very like granular stuff that would be helpful for, for the for the aftermath and those that are dealing with the, the cleanup, for lack of a better word. Um, but I agree with you. It's definitely valuable. It's a great thing to do. And maybe what's lacking is that somebody needs to create an easy template for someone to kind of use to kind of collect all this stuff and, uh, and make it easier to... Because if you're just somebody who maybe reads this article and says, that's a great idea. Okay, well, now what do I do? Right. Yeah. You, you probably need some help in... in in organizing it through some third party that kind of gives you that checklist or that whole 
template, as I said. So I was eager to continue reading to mm-hmm. see if she had a link to a template. Yeah. Because that's what I wanted. The one that resonated with me the most, I thought, was the digital estate plan. I mean, with a lot of our clients uh, being, you know, kind of in like the 65 plus demographic, a lot of what they do doesn't exclusively, financially, doesn't exclusively exist online. And I think the younger um, generations, that's completely the opposite. I mean, I have everything, really financial and otherwise, exists in some cloud on my phone or on my computer somewhere. So when I had my legal documents drafted, this was actually a recommendation by the attorney. It was like website where you like where, you're, where you log into your bank account, username, password, um, yep. where your credit cards are, where any any bills you pay, how all of that happens, um, just usernames, passwords to your phone, to your computer, um, which I have yet to do, <laughs> but it was a suggestion so that, um, and then putting it with your estate documents. So whoever is, you know, kind of going through it has everything in one place to be able to access all that stuff. So one of the items on here was a plan for your pets, which <laughs> Once you start to think about it, you're like, yeah, you know, like think about how many people really think of their pets like their kids or maybe even put them above their kids. <laughs> but I mean, that's a, I don't know. Have you come across people's wills that specifies what happens specifically with the pets and how they're going to be cared for and paid for and who? Yeah. 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 Which I think is smart. Yeah. 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 I mean, typically we outlive our pets, but in the case that, you know, you're, you've acquired a pet later in your years and your kids have moved on and, or you don't have kids or your, your grandkids are older and they don't care as much for you. That pet is like the most important thing in your life. So I think it is important that they have a directive for that. Yeah. We have a client who has um, a horse and there is very specific language in her will as to who takes care of the horse. Um, how the horse gets from A to B and there's like it's it's like she's a percentage the horse the person who's going to care for the horse is a beneficiary of one of her qualified accounts to be able to care for the mm-hmm. horse now I don't think you can put like money in trust horse trust <laughs> an uh, animal it did this this article said that you can I mean yeah, it costs it money but you can set up a trust Honestly, I read yeah. all of the article guys <laughs> I mean, I thought all the points were good. Even the last one, an ethical will. Again, if I took the time to do this, where she says, um, in contrast to the conventional will that lays out, or which lays out how your financial and physical property are distributed, an ethical will is a way to hand down your belief system to your loved ones. Like telling your, your, your heirs, like, look, this is what I believe in. This is why I accumulated it. This is why I'm leaving it to you. And this is how I would like you to consider using it and a belief system. I, mean, I thought that was kind of kind of cool. If you actually took the time to do this stuff, which maybe 5% of the population will. Yeah. Um, I thought it was all good advice. Agreed. Sounds like a business idea. Yeah. Estate planning 2.0. Template. The estate planning <laughs> template project. <laughs> the name needs some work. All right. We're leaving the corner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with a traditional career. Nick Majuli of uh, Dollars and Data takes on what he refers to as entrepreneurship superiority complex in this article. Lots of people, he specifically mentions Twitter, will describe or do describe the only way to truly amass wealth is by starting something or creating something. And while doing either of those things is certainly not bad, um, it implies, or they imply, that working a regular, in quotes, job is less than and can't lead to wealth or success. You want the floor, Mike? Mike's going <laughs> to lose his <laughs> shit no, with this article. article. <laughs> this was a good article, and I'm glad he wrote it because he's dead on um, correct that we are now, and this is this is basically just, if you just look at, even going back to Bill Gates, drops out of Harvard, creates, you know, starts Microsoft, and then it's Elon Musk, and it's Jeff Bezos, and it's 
um, Zuckerberg and all down the line. And, and these are the these are the these are the individuals that so many young people worship and decide that that's who they're going to be. And then you have this prevailing, in his words, like the attitude in the VC community, which is or the entrepreneurship community that like if you don't run your own business or start your own business or if you do anything conventional or standard, then you're just like settling for some mediocre life and you're never going to be rich or wealthy or blah, blah, blah. And it's, and it's so true. It's like, so what? It's not for everyone, number one. And by the way, number two, even more importantly, is the the vast, 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 vast majority of people who start businesses fail and they don't become these these gods that everyone worships because they've amassed all this wealth. And it's it's very, I mean, I think it's kind of like, you know, the athletic world where people kind of grow up, maybe they're good in high school or good in college at, at a sport and they have aspirations or thoughts about becoming a professional in that sport. And then maybe they realize that like, it ain't happening. I'm not good enough or I'm not big enough or fast enough or strong enough, talent enough. And maybe I'm going to have to just buckle down and get a regular job, even though I always thought I was going to be this. It's the same thing here. And I think that I believe that too many people are getting indoctrinated to through colleges especially because it's entrepreneurship classes and it's people who follow on social media all these like you know gods of the industry that are talking about how to build a business how to get funding should you go angel investors should you get you know crowdfunding this and it's a whole thing and there's the young i find that the younger set are obsessed with becoming the next whomever building the multi-billion dollar company and, and becoming that titan of their industry well that ain't gonna happen it ha no, thank god it does happen because there's an innovation and and progress because some it, some people have to make it happen but for i think there's a danger that too many people get sucked into that notion that if they don't do this they're a failure there's nothing wrong with working at a conventional traditional company even if it's for your whole career now i know it doesn't happen that much anymore but if you if you do well and you're smart and you're a good networker and you're good at your jobs and you ultimately get to like say the management and executive track at whatever company you're at you're going to do really well and you're going to probably retire with a really nice amount of wealth and live a nice lifestyle and if you can do all that and balance it and not have to feel like if you didn't have your own business you're a failure who cares that's 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 my point. End rant, mic drop. <laughs> I, my, I, I'll just stop it. It was a good article. I'm glad you wrote it because you, you don't see this very often. You see the other the other side of it, which is like, okay, young you know college yeah. graduates, How you to have to this. forge your own business and start all these things. Like, come on, not everyone's cut out for it. Wants to do it, should do it, or or, or can do it. So like maybe I just want to go to J and J and like work there and make upwards of like two to 250 a year and create three or four million bucks in savings. What's wrong with that? Like we met a couple from a church near me, mm. guys young, late 40s. Mm -hmm. I mean, making bank at a, like a Pfizer or something yeah. like that. Yeah. He, they are going to be financially well off. He's not an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. He's a worker bee and he's a good one. And that's that's where I was very happy that he wrote this article because he termed the entrepreneurship superiority complex. I see that a lot. I see that a lot on social media. These the people that are, quote unquote, I'm an entrepreneur. And they say it with this smugness. And you know what's worse? The um, the self-identified serial entrepreneur, <laughs> right? Which basically means this is all I do. I do it over and over and over again. I'm not. But I just yeah. it's why I just I get a feeling from a lot of them, not all of them, but from a lot of them that they feel like they're better than you, yeah, because they're an entrepreneur, whatever they think that means. Because mm -hmm. I started my own business, and it's like we read an article. Maybe we talked about it here, or or I read it somewhere else. You didn't do anything on your own. You didn't do anything on your own, right? Nobody does anything on their own. Everyone gets help. Every entrepreneur has help building the business they build. They didn't do it on their own. And then this this guy even mentioned mm -hmm. all of these, all those people you just mentioned, they all come from wealthy families. <laughs> they all had help. And the fact that he threw out another great stat, like if you are 
over 55 and you have 2 million bucks, you're in the top 10%. That's good. Why are we, why are we saying that's not good? So that was, I, I agree with you there, Mike. I just, look, we need entrepreneurs. I hate that freaking word so much. Because again, everyone who says it, I feel like they say it like I'm better than you because I'm a quote unquote self-proclaimed entrepreneur. And half the times I want to go, what have you effing done? <laughs> it's correlated with there never used to be entrepreneurship classes or courses in college until, I don't know, probably, I'm just making this up, but <laughs> probably the, the 90s. I mean, I know they didn't have them in the 70s. I mean, because it just wasn't really a thing. Now it's this right. like cultural thing that everyone's pursuing because they think what you just said. They think there's like, the, if you don't do it, there's something wrong with you, you know? And then to look at like doctors and lawyers, financial planners. I mean, these professions that are so, so important and you know, you went to school for a couple extra years after, like after college, or you took a CFP or a CFA. Like, to think that the roles that those people play in our society are less important or less valuable than any of these entrepreneurs' what successes or failures—it's just silly. And the the smugness is insane. And not to get super like gender oriented, it's dudes. This is totally a dude thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're 100% accurate there. Like, yeah. this is the the biggest dick measuring contest. <laughs> I don't think I can think of a woman that has said it to me. I'm an entrepreneur. And I've, I've, I do this. And the I'm other sure thing about it is like, just not the other thing that's weird it. is that, this, it, like I was saying earlier, it just seems to be like a, pervasive in really young people in their 20s that are coming out and they're trying really hard to figure out how to be this person build a company start a business and the thing is like most of the time the founders of businesses or ideas are absolutely not the people who build it and execute it and implement it right and it's very rare for the same person in fact probably never because that's a totally different skill set to have the doers who can take it from idea to actual functioning and growing viable thriving business and obviously you need partners you need money you need support you need all that stuff um that's really hard to grasp get and understand when you're 24 years old so i mean i would almost rather if i were giving advice to like the the standard young person coming out of college i would probably give them advice to go work in a company and, mm -hmm. and understand how how things kind of work and then maybe if you're able to or you have the wherewithal or, or the or the whatever to try something on your own after that I, I kind of feel like it's bad advice to tell somebody who's 23 to just or, or to drop out of school even right and and you know follow in the path of Bill Gates because that is a one in a billion chance that that's gonna lead to success yeah I mean he and he said that in the article too he's like at 40 what do you have at this point you have experience you maybe have a little bit of money and you have a grasp on what it would take to start whatever venture you may now be passionate about. And you have a better idea of what that passion even is. Right. I mean, think of you at 24 years old or 25 and everything going through your mind and all of the influence that we have from everything. Like, it's so easy to think about passion projects and th things that you would want to do that day and then have it change the next or the next month or next year. So time and experience in a relatively like stable, you know, normal, quote unquote, environment like that could be so valuable, even if it's completely different from what you're ultimately going to accomplish. Totally agree. And I think the other thing that is fed into this whole thing is Shark Tank. Look at how popular <sighs> Shark Tank is and was. And it's this whole thing. Yeah. It's this whole notion of get up there and, and in front of these people that we're worshiping, we're bowing at the feet of. Cuban and all these other people and because it's all about this taking this idea getting it funded and then turning it into the you know the next ring ring which was a successful shark tank idea right right but I mean but the failures are I mean littered littered with failure but that's the case in anything you do like yeah. athletics business whatever um, all right I'm done <laughs> <laughs> well said Mike <laughs> Are you done too? 
I'm also done. <laughs> How rich people go broke. Ben Carlson, who writes his blog, A Wealth of Common Sense, uh, his article describes a recent article, I think, in like the New York Poster featuring Robert De Niro. And the headline, Robert De Niro says, coronavirus decimated his finances. Ben then goes on to describe the financial woes De Niro is experiencing due to a marital dispute, business investments experiencing financial pressure, and other things, uh, I'm sure. This headline is interesting, though, because famous people going broke, whether it's athletes, actors, or inheritors, is like, I feel like we hear about it all the time, some version of that. I would probably say more non-famous people go broke than famous people on a percentage basis. <laughs> <laughs> fair, is that your fun, fair enough. fun vague fact? <laughs> yes, but we're talking about the famous people here. But De Niro's case seems to be a little bit unique in that he had poured a ton of... Now, who knows how much money... Yeah. I mean, you would think that this guy over his... How many movies has he made? A hundred? I mean, should have had enough financial resources to like weather this coronavirus storm, but it does seem like he was heavy into Nobu, Greenwich Hotel, and then obviously there's no work for him right now. He can't do like the uh, some cartoon voice to, to make money because uh, they're not really producing any movies right now. It was a little bit, he was just a little bit too concentrated in putting everything he had left into the very businesses that went out of business in the last five months. Yeah, he made bad decisions, which was the best point that I saw in the article. Having lots of money doesn't make you better at managing it. Right. We see that all the time. Just because someone walks through the door and has five million bucks doesn't mean they have half a brain when it comes to what they should do with it. And how like accumulating wealth is way different than preserving wealth and having it work for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, and I would argue a lot of people who are quote-unquote famous or rich are that way because of something that there was a very short accumulation phase, right? Whether it's their athletic career or their movie career, it's not like they worked for 50 years and then amassed this dollar amount. They were given a check in one day or over the course of five years of a career, and it's like, yeah, understanding what to do with it to make sure that what you did 10 years ago or five years ago or, you know, three months ago in De Niro's case can still help him and, uh, you know, allow him to afford his lifestyle. It's, it's two very different things. But I do think there's a theme. It seems like whenever you read about an athlete or an, an entertainer losing a ton of money, it always seems like they were heavily invested in restaurants and real estate. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which restaurants don't even bother. I mean, terrible the odds of business winning. to begin with. It's just it's just exciting. It's, you know, Nobu, uh, obviously, it's like, it must be great to be like, yeah, I, I'm an owner in Nobu, and it's great food, and it's awesome, and all the... The, <laughs> the Kardashians love to eat right, here. Right, right. It's also, I think that, Meg, you mentioned these famous people, they accumulate wealth quickly. But I also believe that people that accumulate a lot of wealth probably have a bias that they think they know what to do with it because they've accumulated it. I have a lot of money, so I'm smart. Mm -hmm. And I know what to do. I mean, I know for a fact that happens. We see it all the time. We see people come in here and they start like word vomiting on us, like how great their plan is and how great they've done. Like, look, you've done a great job accumulating money. But what you're saying the advice, like how you're telling me you're going to manage your plan, makes absolutely no sense. And you're going to do it poorly. Now, you'll probably still make it through the rest of your life because you have enough money to do that. But you're certainly not going to have as much as you could have if you do it better. And I just think it's a, a bias. And again, it's probably tilted more towards men. Um, we have all these <laughs> like born flaws. But... That's that's my biggest issue is I hate seeing these people that just because they have money, they feel like that makes them good money managers and good financial planners of their own stuff. And it's you're not. You're good at whatever you did, right? Ben Simmons, you can 
well, you can't make a jump shot, but you can <laughs> play basketball really well, which is going to get you a lot of money. But then you need someone, and he's a bad example. <laughs> so is the Johnny Depp um, analogy appropriate, or is that just so extreme that it doesn't really compare to like the De Niro situation or athletes blowing everything that they made? Because one of the things that's, like De Niro was dealing with was, a, I guess, a, an ex-wife that he was mm-hmm. paying a ton to or has paid or something. And that's always seems to pop up as well as a common theme where, you know, some of these people have multiple ex-wives and right. or family that they're that are on the payroll. And that's devastating Three, unless you're unless you're Be- Jeff Bezos. Three quarters of a billion dollars on his films he's made. That's crazy. Crazy money for Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. I think most of it came from movies he was wearing like mascara, right? Mm. Pirates. Pirates. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that feels like a very egregious example. But, I mean, I was like just looking up athletes. And let me see if I can find the stat. It was something 60%. And this is from CNBC. So, we'll, you know, 60% of NBA players go broke within five years of departing the league. And 78% of NFL players reach the same uh, reach the same level of brokenness two years after retirement. I watched a documentary. I forget who it was about. It was an athlete or an entertainer. And he was basically saying, look, I don't give a shit. Like, I came from nothing. Yeah. I've just made $50 million. If, I, if it all goes away in two years and I had an unbelievable ride – and I'm back to where I was before I started this, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Maybe the end goal isn't for everyone to be freaking wealthy. Like the, the t- It ties me back to the entrepreneurial article. Like Everyone's end game isn't to be quote unquote money rich. And I feel right. like, sorry. No, you're, no, no, no. Well, I guess I, I, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, like, if your career, what's the average length of an NFL career? It's like two and a half seasons or three years or yeah. something. Right. And like you start that career when you're 22 and then you're done when you're 20. What the, what are you going to do with your time? Like if you're not going to be working, then yeah, that 50 million, doesn't it, even if, even if you don't want to be money rich or you don't want to have a million houses and a million cars, you're 25, you're going to live for another 70 years, dude. I don't think 50 million can get you the lifestyle that you may want to, that you think you can live at 50 million. Right. Because for the of rest that of 70 your life. years. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess that's my point. So it's like, I under, I guess, you know, I came from nothing. I spend everything. I have nothing. But then it's like, okay, now, yeah, now what? what? You're going to go right. try to write a book? Yeah, you can't. The books yeah. don't make any money. Right. You're going to have a podcast? It makes no money. We know from personal <laughs> so, experience. So back to De Niro for a second. <laughs> now, once, at, once movie making comes back online, I'm, I'm assuming he's still like young enough and with it enough to like take a role. And so he had, we have Meet the Fockers, right? Mm-hmm. We got Little Fockers. How much do you think he got paid for Little Fockers? I looked it up. Oh. Well, there's Meet the Parents first, then Meet the Fockers, then Little Fockers. So now they can do even Little Fockers Fockers (laughs) after and you you know, get some more. What do you think they paid him for that? For Little Fockers? 15 million. What'd you say? 15. 15? Um, That's actually a really good number. Um, So... Just give a right. number. Twenty million. Yeah, yeah, you're right on. According to my sources, you're right on. Twenty million. Okay, that's like crazy money for a movie that I didn't even know existed. Right. So, right. like, you start yeah. to think about all those shit movies he did and got that kind of. And Meet the Parents is on TV, three hundred and sixty-five out of three hundred sixty-five days of the year. So you got to yeah. get like a royalty check or something. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he got the Ryan Howard deal with Little Fockers yeah. because he didn't make that. He probably didn't make that on Meet the Parents. Meet the Parents was a hit. Right. They did Meet the Fockers. That one did really well too. They're like, let's do this awful one called <laughs> Little Fockers. And he's like, if you want me to do that, I need twenty million. He's De Niro, though. He might have gotten that on Meet the Parents. Like De Niro <laughs> might be a bad example just because of his notoriety. Like he might be getting big numbers. Still, anyway. still, or also got twenty for Little Fockers. 
Really? Yeah. Wow. Damn. Did that make any money? <laughs> the movie? Yeah, how much did it make? Bit of a tangent here, but I like it. One second. How much do you think Lil Falkers? <laughs> Wait, is it Lil? <laughs> I just threw that in there. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the, worldwide at gross. The box office. <laughs> worldwide oh, total. 350 million. Very, 309 million bucks worldwide. Isn't that insane? <laughs> is that good? That's 309 like million. I think it's pretty good, for especially for what that was. Yeah. And after paying those two guys, that, what, how much could the rest of that have really have Right. Cost? What did Barbra Streisand <laughs> make in that movie? Oh, wow. Dustin Hoffman. Wow. They have a lineup. Yeah, pretty good, yeah, pretty good crew. I thought, Meg, you did a great job on all the articles this week. Oh, thank you. Really. I, I felt like, I felt this is like, an episode I should share good because variety. everyone should read the articles because I thought they were all really oh, good articles. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's like the reason I thought we were doing this podcast in the first place. <laughs> this one actually was 33 wasn't. episodes <laughs> in. <laughs> well, uh, let's. Now we're going to top five and this could ruin the whole episode. Top five hat wearers. Right? No, no, just hat wearers. No fictional, real, whatever, right? So the, the, when you say it, it doesn't sound as glamorous as it is, but I've, I mean, I, there were a lot to choose from. All right. I feel like this is going to be all over the place because mine are all over the place. Why don't you start, Mike? All right. In really no particular order, uh, Santa. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, even... I mean, are we talking about iconic hats? I guess. That's, that's a good one. That's, that's a, a good yeah, one. There's like, nothing wrong with it. That is how people celebrate Christmas. I mean, I just didn't realize you were four years old. <laughs> All right, well, I have another one that's pretty juvenile. The Easter Bunny? <laughs> Harry Potter's sorting hat. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've seen pictures, never saw the movie, but... So the, it's it's the hat that tells them what house okay. they're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a big deal. I got you. <laughs> uh, Mary Poppins. Hmm. Did Don't she put... always wear a hat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to this podcast about Cam Newton, so it's I've been in like a little bit of a wormhole. He is a hat. He's a hat kind of wearer. I almost went with one like that, but I I took it off my list. But good one. So yeah. I w- like I googled him, and every picture mm-hmm. at the podium after a game, he is wearing a crazy hat. By the way, the Chronicles of Cam Newton is a good podcast. Okay. Okay. And I put Tiger Woods because hmm. have you seen the man without a hat? Oh, it's bad. He should only ever yeah. be in a hat. Yeah. Wow. That you took it pretty. That's a good. I, I told good. you all over. You the had place. a different interpretation. Yeah. Than I had. <laughs> Way mine different. Are, mine are a lot more like lighthearted ones, I think. But again, maybe no particular. I'll go next. But, but. go ahead. Um, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels in Dumb and Dumber when they go to the benefit in their costumes with blue, the top blue tuxedos, mm-hmm. yeah, respectively. Great, great scene, by the way. I've got. Clint Eastwood in any of the westerns, like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, or okay. any any time he wears a hat, like a western hat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty natural. Mm-hmm. I've got Steve Bartman, the kid who ruined the Cubs' playoff chances that year, where uh. everywhere he showed up in, in, in the press, public interviews, he had that stupid Cubs hat on, and he's probably just wearing it right now. Right, right. He never took it off. <laughs> With the headphones. Didn't he have headphones on, too? Yeah, I think yes, so. I think he did. Uh, I got Tom Landry, iconic Dallas um, Cowboys coach. Oh yeah, that's a great one. That's I mean, a really what good kind one. Of hat? I mean, a just a cowboy hat. hat. Like a yeah, he was a yeah. yeah. It was actually not really a no. It wasn't cowboy, a cowboy hat. hat. It was just a very classic. Like he dressed up like I forget you know, what they're called. What that yeah has I, a name I'm to it. And then number one, he's got to be Indiana Jones. Ah. It's, it's Indiana Jones, like hands down. It's absolutely, the best hat absolutely. Yeah. I mean, part of the plot revolved around him, his hat, making sure he didn't lose his hat. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, again, I had like a different kind of list. Mine were, you know, these people because they wear hats. Like Greg Norman was a golfer, and he he wore like a kind of like a Tommy Bahama kind of yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah. And he was known for wearing that hat. Um, LL Cool J. Yeah, good one. Always had a hat on. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever took it off until 
like later in his like acting career. Where My like, version of LL is hatless. Right. He never, he had like a, like a, <laughs> like a complex about the shape of his dome. Hmm. Yeah. Um, looking up all these people for their hats. Fred. Wow, that was a, the top LL Cool J Google search. You're not going to say Fred Berry, are you? Fred Durst. Oh, I should have said Limp Fred Biscuit. Berry. He always has a backwards, like a red backwards hat on. I've never seen him without a hat. Fred Durst. Hat. Maybe it knows that I've just been searching for a lot right. of hats. Slash from Guns N' Roses. Always had that top hat on. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you're right. Okay. You're right. Okay. God, who do I use for my last one? Um, I guess I'll have to go with Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, my God. She was, what she, were the other options? <laughs> Flavor Flav. Okay. He always had a backwards to mm-hmm. the side hat. Yeah, yeah. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, that wasn't, that was a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam. You yeah. reminded me, I would have had him on my top five. Who? Rerun from What's Happening. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. <laughs> Meg's like, what? Yeah, I guess hat. Santa? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we decided of this over text message. We had no conversation about it. Santa's hat is the most iconic hat in the history. We of hats. weren't looking for iconic hats, <laughs> like Harry. Like like Harry Potter isn't known for wearing a hat. The Sorting Hat is worn by every character in Harry Potter. But they're not known for wearing the hat. <laughs> I gotta go with Jeff on this one. Seriously, <laughs> Harry Potter. I've used Harry Potter a couple times in top fives, and I've never gotten good <laughs> a positive <feedback>. response. <laughs> All right. Whatever, so Dumbledore. It's a good top five all around. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Call it a push. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Till next week.